there's just, there's so many different ways that you can, you know, be in the financial planning profession without being an advisor. Welcome to episode 23 of You're a Financial Planner, Now What? I'm your host, Hannah Moore, certified financial planner and owner of Guiding Wealth Management. Today, I'm excited to share with you an interview with Dennis Moore. Dennis is a chief operating officer at Quest Capital Management here in Dallas and shares his story on how he transitioned his career towards an operational role rather than a traditional financial planning role and got his firm on board with the change. When you talk about a career path, many assume that means you're on your way to becoming a lead advisor. The financial planning profession needs people who don't want to be the lead advisor, and Dennis is such a great example of that. Let's jump right into this interview. Well, thanks for joining us today, Dennis. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. For the people who don't know you, can you just give me just a brief idea of kind of where you are today? Yeah, so I am uh, the Chief Operating Officer at Quest Capital Management in, in Dallas, Texas, and Quest is a comprehensive wealth management financial planning firm that's been in business since uh, 1987. So we're just now coming up on our uh, 30th anniversary towards the end of next year. So, And so you oversee all of the operational issues. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So uh, my role here is to oversee all, all operations, all business aspects. So everything from, again, the operations like our, our processes to our finances, to HR, to compliance, and basically any any business aspect that we have here at Quest. So do you do any financial planning directly right now? I don't. I started out uh, working on, so we have teams here at Quest. Um, I started out as an associate planner on one of the teams uh, doing financial planning and working with clients. But uh, once I ultimately transitioned over to this role, I stepped aside from any actual direct financial planning work with the clients and, and focus solely on the business. One of the things I like so much about your story is we talk a lot about career paths and we always assume that we're talking about people who want to be lead financial advisors. And I love it that there's roles within the profession for people who are really good at operations. Um, so how did you get into financial planning? Yeah. And so that's, um, yeah, and I agree with what you just said. I mean, I think there's just so many, so many different avenues within financial planning and different career paths to explore. You just kind of have to go find what's the right fit for you. But, um, and so for me, so starting out in uh, financial planning, so, you know, in college I started out, you know, as a corporate finance major and, and uh, had never really even heard of financial planning before until my wife uh, or my girlfriend at the time, now my wife introduced me to the, uh, the financial planning program at Texas tech, you know? And so I, Met with uh, the director of the program there, Dr. Hampton, learned a little bit more about what uh, not only what the program was about there at Tech, but also just what the what is financial planning and and what that meant. And I was sold basically from from day one. I thought, you know, I knew that that's exactly what I wanted to do. I thought it served such a great purpose. I felt really, really good about that. And so, you know, went through the program, I actually did my internship here at Quest uh, during college and then uh, went back for my senior year. And once I graduated from, uh, from tech, I took the CFP exam and, and, and did all of that and then uh, started full-time here at Quest and started out as, a, as an associate planner for a couple of the teams that we have here. Uh, again, we work in planning teams that you know, manage our client relationships. And, and so I was an associate planner for, for two of the lead planners and did that for a while, but then really started feeling like I was being led in a slightly different direction. And, and that direction was more on the business and operations side. You know, it's, it's, 
business has always been interesting to me, uh, regardless of, you know, the industry. And so, you know, I felt that there was a really, to me, what would have been a, a, a neat, and interesting career path in financial planning, but through the operations side. And so, you know, I decided that, you know, after thinking about it for a while, decided that that's, that that's really what I wanted to do. And so I started looking at, at grad school and, and, uh, working on my MBA and decided that that, that was the route that I wanted to go. So, so I did that, but in doing so, you know, I, I decided, you know, I, I put together basically a, a business plan for a planning department here at Quest and put together this plan and proposal, presented it to the partners. And, and basically what it would, what it would do, it, it created a planning department that would help, you know, write the financial plans and annual reviews for our teams and allow me to be able to do that while going to grad school. And, you know, the partners liked the proposal and, and, uh, you know, gave me a shot to implement it. And so, you know, it was a wonderful opportunity for me, uh, because again, it allowed me to continue to, to work and be in financial planning and do financial planning while going to grad school. But beyond that, it also kind of gave me that first exposure to, to kind of quote the business side of it, you know, actually having a business plan and, and it being my responsibility to implement this and make it work and do all of that. And so it was a great learning experience for me too, that, you know, something that I could build on as I kind of progress through my career. So overall that was, yeah, it was just an excellent opportunity for me on, on that front. So you, okay, so let me make sure I'm understanding this. You graduated undergrad with a financial planning degree and then you started work, you had already interned at Quest and you, you started working at Quest. How many years before you started the grad school program? I think I started, I think I started grad school two years after yeah, right around two years after uh, I graduated from undergrad. Now, this is part of the story that I think I know that <laughs> now you actually took this program that you just you you pitched to the executives at Quest and you actually moved it out to Lubbock. Is that correct? Yeah. So I went back to Texas Tech for my MBA and and um, yeah, the planning department was me working in, in Lubbock for Quest. And, and, you know, that it really, you know, again, brought value both to me and to Quest and, and so much so that, you know, Quest decided to kind of expand on that. And so, you know, by the time that that I, I wrapped up grad school, we had several other people in the planning department that I was, uh, you know, managing and, and helping with uh, with all of that and, and working through the planning department to help the teams. And, and so it really gave me that that first exposure of managing people managing projects, time management, all of that. So it, it was, um, yeah, it was a really good, good opportunity for me. I hear a lot of young advisors talk about like working within firms and being like, you know, I wish they would do this. And it kind of sounds like where you were and you were successful in kind of putting an idea out there and having the firm actually adopt, adopt that idea. What would you, if somebody has an idea like what you had, how, what is the best way for them to be approaching the owners of the firm or like what advice would you have for them? I think being proactive, taking initiative and thinking, thinking outside the box and, and different things like that. I think that's awesome. And I think it's great for young advisors to be doing the best way to approach that is to, you know, make sure that you do, do your homework, really put some thought into what you're proposing and, and the why, you know, how would this, how would this benefit the company? You know, what value is this bringing? And especially if it's a change to how the company's been doing something for X number of years, you know, why is that change worth it for us to go through such a, you know, I mean, cause change is hard. And so what's, what makes it bring value? And so you really need to think through all of that and come with a good presentation and, 
And by presentation, I, I don't mean you have to put together a big PowerPoint and have some big formal presentation, but really when you're presenting your idea, you know, just make sure you're, you're prepared to discuss it. And the other piece of advice I would give is, you know, don't get discouraged if it's not implemented. I mean, I know, you know, in my case, this worked out for me and it worked, but, but even if it wouldn't have worked, it was a great opportunity for me to put together a, a real live business plan and a proposal. You know, I mean, we do it in college and, and things like this, but I mean, this was for real. So just doing that and getting that feedback. So don't get discouraged if it doesn't happen exactly as you draw it up, because a lot of times, and even, you know, what I tell people now is, you know, I want to hear any idea you have, you know, just let, let me know what's, what's on your mind. And, you know, we may not be able to implement it tomorrow, but that doesn't mean that it may not be something down the road that we'll consider, or maybe even, you know, a few adjustments here or there that will help it really kind of fit into what, what the company's doing. So, yeah, so my, yeah, my advice is, is, um, you know, definitely come with those ideas and again, approach it in the right way though. You know, you don't want to bombard them every single day with a new idea, but, uh, make sure that, that, uh, it's well-researched and prepared to give your reason why. When you proposed this to the firm, I mean, were you putting numbers behind it? Like, did you have yeah, like, I, a financial aspect to it as well? I did. I did. Yeah. I put in, yeah. What, what would the cost be? What would, what's the potential savings? What's the, the value that this would bring to the company? And again, it's, it's, it was a change in how we did it or, you know, was were how our processes were. And so, you know, I kind of went through the methodology of how I thought that this could bring value and it's worth the change and, and doing all of that. So yeah, really, really spent a lot of time putting all that together. That's great. Cause a lot of what I hear with young advisors do, it's, you know, just giving an idea, like, you know, I want to serve my generation or things like that, but I love that idea of actually putting numbers to it. Like you would a business plan. Yeah, exactly. Cause again, it's, you know, ideas are great and, and we need the ideas, but you know, you have to, if there's not a way to implement it or show why we should implement something, then, you know, chances are they're not gonna, they're not going to get real far. Cause especially in the, you know, in the business world, you have to kind of prove why you want to go in a certain direction. You at this point are two years into your career. You're already writing this business plan. And so you said you already knew that you wanted to go more into the business side of it more so than the financial planning side. Is that right? Yeah. Or at least that's where at that point in time, that's where I, I would, I felt like that's the direction I wanted to go. You know, as I went through grad school and the MBA program and learning all of that, and then being able to you know, run the planning department that really kind of solidified that, yeah, this is the direction I wanted to go. What resonated with you the most to kind of help you know that you wanted to go this way versus the traditional lead advisor role? You know, I think for, for one, you know, business just had always interested me, you know, just throughout my life, you know, my dad owns his own business. And so, you know, just growing up, I was exposed to just to that aspect. And so it's always just kind of been in the back of my mind and just curious about how different businesses are run and, and just different things like that. And, 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 you know, I'm a, you know, a, a process oriented type of person and all of that. And so I saw that, I, that I felt that there would be value that I could bring to a firm by using those skills and really kind of helping us create some efficiencies, be more effective, you know, just explore different ways of doing things. And I think that's, that's, brings value to any type of business, you know, not just financial planning. And so that's what really kind of interested me because I felt like I could, I could bring value and make an impact to still serving our clients and how we're delivering our, our financial planning services, but can do it from a, 
uh, a broader level and overall impact to the to the company. So you're running this financial planning, the financial planning, I guess, division, if you would, of of Quest out in Lubbock. You end up moving back to Dallas. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So once I yeah, so I, I, I once I finished up uh, grad school, um, moved back to Dallas and and that's when I kind of uh, started phasing out of of. Fin- you know, the quote financial planning and writing the plans and, and doing all of that. And I kind of moved over and started working with the uh, the management team at Quest then and, and kind of got up to speed and trained and, and things like that uh, before really kind of taking over the role that I'm in now. So did they know that this was the direction that you wanted to head? As I really uh, kind of started solidifying that, yeah, that this is the direction I wanted to go, um, you know, certainly kept, you know, conversations going with, with Quest and just letting them know that that's, that's what really interests me and, and doing that. So, yeah, so they, they definitely knew that that was the direction I was, I was planning for. So how long after you finished grad school, I mean, did you stop working with clients and start really doing this role full time? It was really that, that next year. So I graduated in 09, uh, from grad school. And then 2010 is whenever I moved back to Dallas and, and moved over, um, I get, you know, quote, moved over to the management side, but, you know, started working with the management team at Quest then. And so it was really pretty immediate as, as soon as I moved back to Dallas that I transitioned over. How has your perspective kind of changed now that you're on this operation, like the COO of a firm versus, you know, kind of when you started out as a financial planner? There's, there's a lot of moving pieces to, you know, to kind of making all of this happen. I think that's probably been the, the biggest thing is just kind of really seeing the, the full picture of, of what all it takes to, to quote, do financial planning. I mean, from everything from the actual planning process to compliance, to what technology do you use and does that technology integrate with your other technologies um, to the strategic vision of the firm and what's, what, does, what does the company look like five years from now? You know, and just, just all those different um, aspects of, of having a financial planning firm and, and being able to, to provide the services that we provide. And how many, just to give people kind of a perspective of the firm, how many employees does Quest have? Uh, we have 24 employees. So 24 employees. So you're, are you, so are you the HR department? Yeah. So I oversee yeah all of our HR. We've got other people that work with me here, you know, to count, to, to help facilitate and, and do all of that. But, but yeah, so I, I have a oversee and have a hand in all of that. Now you're in this role. I mean, what does, you're talking about like career paths, you know, so you kind of started that financial planning, went more that COO route. I mean, are you kind of in your dream job or, I mean, what does the future look like for somebody who, or what are the options I guess that you would have? Yeah. So for me, and that's, you know, what, uh, what else I, uh, really enjoy about this role, you know, I, I see it as, you know, trying to figure out how can we continue to get better? And so there's never, there's not an end point to it. You know, I mean, we continue to, to grow and, and figure out how, how to do what we're doing better. And so I guess, the next steps and just continuing on is just continuing to, to see what else is out there. I mean, and, and you can do that without, you know, kind of a next, you know, a next role or another title or something like that. It's just because there's just so many different options and different ways of, of doing what we do, you know, being able to pull all of that together and see what makes sense. Because, and again, that's the other thing too, that's so great about it is there's so many different ways, different business models, and it all 
you know, and every company is different. And so what's that, what's the culture of the company? What's the right fit? What will work in this company may not work in that company. And, but that doesn't mean that it's good or bad. It's just different. And so being able to wade through all of that and find what's most effective for your situation is, is, uh, is a constant challenge and, and kind of keeps you going. One of the things I hear, maybe, maybe not said explicitly, but I feel like that sometimes there's a lot of struggle. You're talking about this like big overarching strategic vision. And with a lot of young advisors, maybe they feel some tension of like, maybe they want to be part of that, but they're not kind of in those conversations as the CEO, kind of what's your perspective of that or speaking to young advisors in that spot where they want to have more of that influence on that strategic vision. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what would be your thoughts to them? So I think, for me, kind of what we were talking about earlier is just if, if they do have ideas, encourage them to share those ideas and, and share, you know, what their vision is and, and, and those type of things. But, but again, it, it, it needs to be more than just an idea or just a thought, you know, really, you know, they need to put together the, the why, you know, why should we do that? Or why does that make sense? And, I, you know, and I think it's, I think communication is key, you know, and that's something that I try to always do. You know, I want whatever, whether it's a outside organization or, or here at Quest or whatever it may be, you know, I always want feedback. So I encourage that. I want to, I want to hear what's on people's minds. I want to, you know, know their thoughts on the direction that we're going and, and all of that. And again, it's, it's, and it's important not to get discouraged if you feel like things aren't moving fast enough or aren't changing like you want them to, because sometimes it, things take time, you know, and it doesn't just happen overnight. So, uh, so one, so don't get discouraged, but two, you know, just continue to be involved and be active and, and show initiative. And so far in my career, that seems to, that seems to, um, be the best way of going about it and being a part of that discussion. It's maybe a strong quote, but it reminds me of the saying, uh, power is taken, not given. And that kind of is what I'm hearing you say. It's like, if you want that influence and like, you have to be the one to initiate that versus just kind right. of waiting for it to happen. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and with that, again, you got to use your best judgment as to when to approach certain things and how to handle it. But, but certainly, I mean, everybody's, everybody's busy. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's better to show that initiative and being proactive as opposed to waiting for somebody to hand it to you. And again, you got to, you got to handle that correctly and, 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 and be professional about it. But, but again, yeah, I like, I like seeing initiative. I like seeing people come up with ideas and, and plans and, and want to be involved and want to be a part of the, uh, the discussion. Nick Murray in one of his books, uh, talks a lot about like the makeup of a financial advisor and like the personality of a financial advisor. And it resonated with me. And one of the things about kind of that, person that he kind of described is that they're not process driven. Have you seen that with financial advisors that you've worked with, that they're more of that scattered idea type? You know, or- it, I think it's kind of all over the place, really. I mean, there, I, I know some that are, that are both very process driven and some that are not. So I, you know, I, I'd find it for me, and at least in my experience, I think it's, uh, there's no one, one exact mold of what a financial advisor looks like. You know, I think each, each brings a unique perspective and and approach to the planning process. How as a firm, do you bring together those different personalities in 
how do you coordinate that if you would? Like, I feel like with processes, it's very, it, it feels very black and white to me, but how do you bring in, I guess, the different personalities or traits and help them work together? Yeah. So, um, you know, just like with, with financial planning and working with your clients and all of that, you know, again, it's not, it's not all about the numbers and the checklists and all of that, you know, it's about the relationship and those interpersonal skills and, and, and communication, you know, it's the same, it's the same in, in this type of role. I mean, it's, uh, again, the numbers and the projections and the metrics and all of that are, are certainly important, but it's, it's, you know, really about the relationships and the communication within the organization and, and getting everybody on the same page and, and moving in the same direction. And again, so that, and that just goes, you know, gets down to, uh, like I said, yeah, the communication and, and relationship building and, and being able to move in the same direction to achieve a common goal and, and really communication, you know, that gets thrown around a lot, but it's more than just how am I talking to somebody or presenting something, but it's being self-aware of how is this person receiving what I'm communicating to them and vice versa. How am I receiving what they're telling me? Because, you know, we could be talking past each other and then feel like we're on the same page. And, you know, so it's, it's a very important skill to, uh, to work on is, is communication. Basically what I'm hearing is uh, good management is kind of the key. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, and again, and there's a lot of ways to, you know, you kind of mentioned about, you know, people, if they want to get into this role and really, and I think it's really whether this role or an advisor or whatever it is, it's, it's, you know, people skills and working on a team. And, and, uh, even though not every, not every single thing is, is, you know, a team project or whatever it may be, but you know, you've got to work with others and be able to communicate your ideas and, and, uh, and manage that. And that's, yeah, that's just a, a huge key to, to all of it. Okay. So I'm really curious on how you answer this next one. One of the things I feel like, and again, this is my biases from my experiences. I feel like a lot of financial planners are really bad business owners, but when you look at a firm that has a CEO, like obviously you guys are really focused on that. So what are the most important metrics for financial planning firms to be watching from a business standpoint? It kind of depends, you know, what's, what are, what are the goals of the company? You know, again, what are you trying to achieve? Um, because then that kind of backs into, you know, because whatever you're trying to achieve, whether it's this year and five years or whatever the time frame is, you know, how do you know if you've achieved those goals? Well, you have to be able to measure it and manage it, track it, you know, and have all of that. And so that's where coming into a very specific, I mean, there's the, you know, the AUM numbers, the revenue by, you know, revenue numbers, the profit numbers, those type of things, just the general you know, business metrics and all of that. But really, if you really kind of get into it, for me, it, it just kind of depends on what are you trying to accomplish. And so I think that's going to be different metrics for each company, just depending on where they're at and what they're trying to do. Can you give me an example? And, and definitely that doesn't have to be a quest, but like you talk about the, the different goals that a company could have. Like, can you give me an example of like a goal and then what metrics would kind of match up with that goal? We've talked about technology, or I've mentioned that uh, once or twice in our conversation today. So, you know, if you're trying to implement a new piece of technology, I mean, so one, why are you implementing the technology? What value is that bringing? How can you back that up and prove that? And then two, what are the milestones and metrics that you're going to use to 
uh, be sure that implementation goes as planned and on schedule. And so, you know, that could be, you know, if you're migrating from another platform to a, a new technology, then, you know, you could come up with whatever those metrics are for, yeah, I guess those are more internal milestones and, and just how do you say that that was a successful move? Could be if you're, if a company is looking to grow, you know, then it's, you know, what's your metrics could be, what are your target clients? What's your, you know, close ratio? What, you know, what are you doing to, tar- you know, to pr- uh, bring in prospective clients and are you presenting the right material in order to turn them into clients? Uh, you know, so the close ratio, the, net new assets, the, you know, whatever it may be on, on something like that. So if that's the type of growth that, that they're talking about. And again, and, and each company could have something else that's just internal to them that, uh, that they track that's important to them, you know, so it, it goes a lot to the culture of the firm and, and just what, what they're trying to do. Do you find that there are other people in the COO role, like within the financial planning profession, or do you feel like a little bit like you're one of a kind? Well, I think, I think there's more and more out there now. I feel like whenever I was, and really whenever I was first going to grad school and, and, uh, you know, telling people what I was going to try to do, you know, it, you know, a lot of people kind of questioned why I was doing that. And, you know, you know, I'd already have, I've got my degree in financial planning. I have the CFP designation, you know, why, why do I need to go get a MBA or a graduate degree or, or whatever, you know, and I try to explain what I, what I, what my thought was and what I was trying to do. And, and yeah, not everybody got it or saw that, that that made sense. And so I think starting out, especially early on, on this journey felt a little lonely, but I think, I think there's more and more companies that are having a, a COO or an operations manager or, or somebody to really kind of oversee that aspect of the, of the business, which I find great. I mean, I think that brings huge value to those type of companies. Even if your firm isn't large enough to have this role, like the functions of what you're talking about are still there. So even if it's not a full-time job, I mean, I'm a small business owner and I'm thinking through a lot of the stuff that you're talking about as well. Right. So it could be that you go down this path, but it's not your full-time role. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what else makes it. Yeah. And again, there's just so many, in addition to business models, different business sizes and just different, you know, makeups of the company. And so, um, yeah, certainly in, in, in some companies, it may not need to be a full-time dedicated management person, but it's somebody else who, you know, may be wearing two hats or something like that. You know, so again, it just kind of depends on, depends on that company. And I know I've said that a, a few times and it sounds kind of a, a vague question, but you know, to me, it, it really, it really does. I think it's very specific to what that firm, company, practice, you know, what they're trying to do and, and just where they're at in their in their business. So let's take a minute and talk about processes. I, full disclosure, I am not, my mind is not working processes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think one of the things that I struggled with for quite a few years was people would always talk about how important processes were and, you know, workflows and things like that, but I never quite understood it. So when you talk about a process, like what does that actually look like? I mean, is it a is it a technology? Is it like something that's sitting on your desk or like how, what, what it, can you go into more depth about that? Yeah. So, so for me, whenever I talk about a process, you know, what I'm, I'm referring to is, is, you know, whether it's a, you know, it could be just a checklist 
of, you know, these are the five steps that, you know, we have to do to, you know, process this paperwork or this is, you know, or it could be more involved of our, you know, our actual, you know, what's the planning process? What are we, you know, kind of, you know, what do we do whenever a new client comes on board and, and all of that? And so really, for me, the way I, I, um, I do like processes, so, and, you know, full disclosure there, so I'm a, I'm a big <laughs> process guy. Um, but for me, it's, it's more about consistency and just making sure that, you know, nothing is dropped or forgotten and that, that we provide a consistent experience. Um, so again, so that's not to say that there can't be, you know, once the process is written, that it's written in stone and can never be changed. You know, there's always going to be some deviations and some changes, but there's a baseline there to ensure that we know that we're, we're being consistent, we're being effective and we're doing what we're supposed to do. You know, and that's, that's everything from, you know, workflows to checklists to, you know, whatever it may be. And I mean, these are written down processes that people have, right? Yes. Ideally, right. Yeah. So the goal is to have everything, yeah, documented and written down. Right. Do you go through like a workflow system like with your CRM? Uh, We do. We actually, um, we are, we're working on that right now. It's uh, actually, we just implemented a new CRM uh, within the last year. So that's kind of been one of our big projects on, on getting that implemented and up and running and then getting our workflows built into there where it makes sense. And again, like I said, sometimes it's just a, you know, as simple as a five step checklist or something like that. But again, we'll have that saved somewhere so it can be accessed. You know, the other piece too, that I was going to mention on, you know, in regards to the process and and all of that, for me, I, I think it's important to have these things, you know, documented and up to date in case something you know, if somebody goes on vacation or, you know, something happens to, you know, if something happens to me or whatever it may be that, you know, we've got our processes in place and documented that somebody could come in and pick back up and keep things moving. So that's, it's also kind of serves as a, a backup type of a deal if uh, somebody's out of the office. One of the things that I did when I started on my own is I went and I actually bought somebody else's processes and all their checklists and everything. Yeah. And so yeah. There, there's a lot of options. So I think when we talk about processes, it doesn't mean that you have to start from scratch. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, no need to reinvent the wheel. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of good templates out there and it's just because that's what you, you get from that template and all of that, that doesn't, you know, you can still adjust it to what works for you. So that's what it will, makes it so powerful. And again, and, and it's also important too, that once you draft it and have it ready to go, that you don't just forget about it and it's filed somewhere, you know, you need to review it periodically to make sure that it's still an accurate process. So you talked about Quest having teams and how, how many teams does Quest have? Is it- so we have four, four planning teams and an operations team. And an operations team. So with the processes, I mean, are they... Do all teams have all teams adopted them or do some kind of just tweak them for their own? Or how, how do you manage the identity of a team versus the consistency of the firm? Right. Yeah. And that's a great question. Yeah. So we are, you know, we have our quest process, you know, we all use the same technology. It's the same planning process, same, you know, everything's the same, but that being said, you know, obviously there's personalities and there's different teams and, and different approaches, just like with, you know, there's different clients and, and, needs by the client. And so, so there is that, that leeway, uh, like I mentioned a little while ago, you know, to where it's not just written in stone and there's no deviation from it. Um, again, it's there for, 
the baseline consistent consistency to make sure that things are done correctly and appropriately, but everybody has some leeway to, to kind of make it their own. So it's not a micromanagement tool. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, you know, and again, and that's where, you know, it's just guidance, guidelines, things like that. I mean, there are certain things that have to be done exactly how it needs to be done, but you know, a lot of it's, you know, it's just really, yeah, it's the guidelines there in place to just to make sure that we're, we're being consistent and effective. So now you work in your firm and I know you're also really active in the profession and talking to young advisors as well. So with a lot of the young advisors that are out there, what are some of the pitfalls that you're seeing them take from, from the perspective of being a COO now? You know, I think it's just getting, getting some experience. I mean, cause I mean, I can put myself in their shoes as to, you know, coming out of, coming out of college and, you know, ready to, to tackle everything, you know, but I think it's, it's important to it's important to have your goals and a vision of where you want to go and what you want to do. But it's also important to have perspective and to realize that there is still a lot to be learned. And so just to be able to balance balance the ambition with, you know, reality and, and just how how it, how it may actually work out. I think that's that's a big a big key, you know, so that way because I see some people getting frustrated if, if things aren't moving as fast as they as they feel like they should. And all of that, which, again, there's a lot of factors that could go into that. But, you know, I think it's just important to keep that perspective in mind, because, I mean, for me, coming out of college, it was it was uh, it was pretty eye opening again, just to just to realize just how much how much more there was out there to learn and all that. And obviously, I mean, I knew that coming out of college, I, I didn't think I knew at all. But again, you've got the a certain a certain mindset once you graduate and just kind of really getting into the quote real world. Um, really is a transition and there's a lot of moving pieces to it. So that's one thing I think just, you know, again, don't give up on your ambitions and goals and, and all of that. You've got to have that, but just, just keep it in perspective and in reality as to, to how things actually progress. Um, but the other thing is, you know, as you mentioned, my involvement with some outside organizations like FPA, uh, you know, I, that's been a tremendous, tremendous piece of my career. I mean, it's really helped me throughout the years in a variety of ways. And so I, I think, you know, the sooner that a new advisor can get involved and plugged in somewhere, the better. I mean, it's just there's so many, so many opportunities out there. But again, it's not going to get it's not going to be handed to you. You've got to go get it. OK, so how did you get involved with the FPA? Yeah, I was thinking through that uh, not that long ago. And really, I kind of traced it back to, to college. Didn't know anybody. And I, I volunteered to help, you know, manage our Texas Tech booth at the annual FPA conference. And so Something as simple as, you know, just raising my hand to do that allowed me to meet a lot of other people within the, the tech program as well as people in the profession because we were there at a, a conference. And so I got to talk to a lot of people, uh, people I've never met before. And again, this was before really I even knew what all financial planning was about. So, you know, that was a huge kind of first step for me because, again, I'm, I'm very much a, an introvert and all of that. So kind of stepping out there and, and raising my hand and getting in front of people for me personally was it was a big step but but from that you know from meeting those people and getting involved you know it just it just really kind of took off from there i enjoyed the involvement i enjoyed meeting just a variety of people from around the country and so from that um you know i got more involved on campus at tech and with our within our uh program um and then just the people i've met and the experiences i've been able to to experience have just been outstanding 
which again just kind of opens the door and introductions to other people from around the country, um, you know, learning how they do things. Just you know, it's just been a tremendous um, resource for me. And and again, being able to, as I, I mentioned earlier about the communication and building relationships, um, you know, being in an organization like FPA where committees are, you know, constantly changing and the board of directors changes, you know, all by design, but you get you get um, exposure to a variety of, of, of people from different business models, different backgrounds, and learning to work with everybody um, and communicate and, and all of that. It's just, uh, it's been a huge asset for me. So when people talk about getting involved, I feel like there's... <laughs> What was the time commitment of that? Like how much, how much energy were you having to put into all the activities that you were doing? So there is, um, it depends. It depended on the role, you know, um, you know, some of the committee work didn't take as much time. Um, but once you get in a board position that, you know, there is a little bit more time, but you know, it, that even depends on which, which role you serve on the board. But you know, what I've, what I've found is, is that everybody's, busy and time is, is scarce and a valuable resource. And so it's really just about, you know, what's, you know, the priority level that you apply to it, you know, cause there's been time, you know, I spend a lot of time on the weekends working on, you know, some FBA items or, or other organizations that I'm involved in. And so that's important to me and I find value in it, you know, just like earlier in the conversation about bringing ideas and things like that, you know, it's not only the idea, but the why and what's the value for me being involved has been such, such a valuable piece of my career so far is that I, I make that a priority to make sure that I can continue to do that. So there certainly is some time commitment, but, uh, and again, ever, uh, a little different and just what time is available, but there's always should be somewhere that you can kind of plug into, even if it's just, you know, it's working on a committee and, and, and doing that. I mean, it's just such a, such a valuable resource that's available. And, and the more you put in, the more you'll get out of it. Well, and I think one of the things that people miss a lot of times with the volunteering and giving their time is that you're around people who are doing really neat things. And so you're, you know, they say you're the, like the average of the five people you spend the most time around. I think that's true professionally mm-hmm. as well. It's like the more you get involved, the better people that you're going to be connecting with. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's just, you know, so much, so much out there. And again, everybody does, you know, different business models. They approach things differently, different perspectives. And on some of the things, whether you agree with their perspective or their stance on certain things, you know, that's not really the point. It's just being exposed to, to all of that, to the differencing uh, differences of opinion and perspectives and just all of that. I mean, it just, it's, uh, um, it's just good personally and professionally to continue to, to grow. For somebody who is really kind of wired like that business mind and like you are, what are places that they should be researching or reading? Like, where would you send somebody if they're kind of feeling that itch? If they're really wanting to do that, I mean, there are, you know, starting to become more, you know, uh, conferences geared towards some practice management, you know, and that's where a lot of times it's, um, you know, it's a practice management track or something like that, whether it's at an FPA conference or, the Bob Beery's conference and, and all of that, which, which, uh, his conference coming up that is, you know, very focused on, on more of the practice management and technology and, and all of that. So that's a, 
that would be a good place, a good conference to go to and, and meet other people and, you know, a lot of commonality there to kind of pick, pick their brains as to what they're doing and how they got into it. But, you know, I think, you know, finding somebody who's doing what you're wanting to be doing and just see if you can have a phone call with them or grab lunch or something like that and just kind of get some feedback from them and, 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 and doing that. Cause again, that may not lead to a job in that company, but again, it helps to give you some direction and some feedback on what it really means to be in that role. And, um, and again, the more you can network, the better. So it may not lead to something immediately, but you never know what, what happens down the road. Right. And the more that you put yourself out there and say, like, this is what I want, the more likely you're actually going to be able to get something like that. Exactly. Right. In closing, as we kind of wrap up, is there any other advice or thoughts that you would have to the young advisor who's just getting into the profession? Of course, the, the technical knowledge is a must. You've got to, you know, you've got to have that and be comfortable with that. But, but really, you know, hone your communication skills and relationship building and project management and, and working with others to do that. Cause again, even if it, even if, you know, you're working with, you know, if it's a, a small firm or a solo shop and, and, and you're working with your clients, you know, you still have to work with them and help them to implement the plan. And so you've got to be able to communicate why, why your recommendations are valuable to them and why they should do it and all of that. And so, you know, the communication and relationship pieces are huge in my opinion. And then the other piece is, you know, the sooner you can get involved and network and do all of that, the better, I think, you know, and it's all, it's all got to start somewhere. So even if it is, you know, volunteering to run a booth at a conference or something like that, that's a great first step to, to getting introduced to more and more people. Thanks for joining us on this episode of You're a Financial Planner, Now What? I hope you enjoyed this episode and hope to see you back again next week.